Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Saganeer Podcast. I'm Mike Tatarski, Editor-in-Chief at Saganeer, joined by Tee Nguyen, Staff Writer. Hi. And Koi Pham, our Content Manager. Hello. How are y'all doing today? Uh, Pretty tired. Yeah, <laughs> exhausted. I know, I can't believe it's only Tuesday. <laughs> it's Tuesday? Oh my god. <laughs> no. I lost track of time. Yeah. So we're back to our standard of format today after switching it up a little bit last week with two topics up for discussion. Uh, the consumption of music in Vietnam with Spotify arriving this morning, actually. And Japanese soft power in Vietnam. Uh, our interview segment will be somewhat related to that. It's with Long Nguyen a Vietnamese university student in Japan and co-host of the Bento Bureau podcast. And as always, we end with Ban Mi Banter. So last weekend, uh, Spotify announced that it was going to finally expand into Vietnam and everyone in the city collectively, you know, shat themselves. I did. So, <laughs> <laughs> Food is so good. As an adult, proud yeah. of it. Yeah, and I know a lot of a lot of my American friends have used it with their American accounts, using VPNs and whatnot. But this is a pretty big deal. I plan to sign up for it today. I've never used it before, actually. I guess I'm behind. Um, but this will probably be a game changer for, I assume, Vietnamese artists and music listeners and fans. You won't have to use VPNs, and it's another source to find music. So, Koi and Thi, I know you're both music fans. What does the arrival of Spotify mean for you, other than dirty underwear, Koi? <laughs> so, it's definitely a game changer. I've noticed it. Like, the first time I saw the price for the premium account, mm-hmm. it's the same price as Apple Music. It's the same price? It is. Oh, Apple is 59. so, yeah, so kind of freak. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Full disclosure, I'm using Apple. Mm-hmm. And it's good. I'm happy with it. Uh... The song database is a little bit bigger than Spotify. They have mm-hmm. 40 million songs and Spotify has yeah. 30 millions. Mm. Um, Still a lot. But it's, yeah. Um, but I'm very happy with, with like Spotify entering Vietnam because of two things. First is that now there are more options for people to yeah. choose. That is definitely Choice, the case. More choices, it's mm-hmm. always more, uh, more songs too. Yeah, and music streaming in Vietnam is not completely like a very developed kind of sphere. I would say very undeveloped. Very undeveloped. <laughs> right, right. We don't want we to have, like that. Uh, I think we have Zing. Yeah, but it's yeah, not like streaming. But, but it's, stre- it's streaming. Okay. So after the copyright sue, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Thought, yeah, they've had some big legal issues, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, they, but I'm they not got sure a, they if they pay artists or not. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. so that's definitely <laughs> a very, very positive sign. And now people get to get their music fixed while they can support the artists at the same time. Mm-hmm. Although I'm not really confident to say that Spotify really like pay their artists fairly compares yeah. to right. other yeah there, i mean I know there have been issues in the united states yeah so sure. i'm sure it'll be the same here it's a big thing and taylor swift spoke about it too <laughs> she well did. she spoke about it she, no about it's the thing no, I know, I know. it was a good thing yeah you know, like yeah. she, she asked I mean, for a fair pay i'm, I'm kidding yeah <laughs> and i remember so yesterday i kind of saw this infographic sort of like data this mm-hmm. about how 
music streaming platforms pay their artists. And the ironic thing is, Napster comes second. What? As like the one of like the most yeah. Napster still exists. Very Why good. is even Napster? <laughs> it was like the original original uh, piracy platform. Back in the oh, states, like, like LimeWire. Yeah, like I was in high school, yes. I think, when Napster peer came out. Peer to peer wow. support, and now it's. I didn't even know it was still in existence. To, it does. It's uh, a blockbuster uh, <laughs> Rhapsody, yeah. and it's a it's oh, a legit Rhapsody. yeah. Okay. It's a legit huh? music streaming platform, and it pays. Artists like the second most, <laughs> okay. which is very ironic. Yeah, seriously. And yeah, so that and the second things I'm excited about is I hope that it will bring diversity to people's playlists mm. because one of Spotify's string is you got to discover they have a very good algorithm. Yeah. For you know like yeah. discovering new yeah, music, sure. Tailored to your taste, mm-hmm. but. That's a good sign because, you know, listening to, yeah, if you, yeah, 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 if you sure. live in a bubble of what kind of, <laughs> yeah, yeah, your playlist is again, kind of right. boring. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. So. By the okay. way, I think this children's song in the background is also available on Spotify now. <laughs> it, is. it is. I mean, uh, any obscure song. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm a total Spotify fan. Mm-hmm. So I, I started using Spotify for free, uh, I think in 2015 maybe, but then the Apple Music came out and then yeah. I signed on to for the trial, the three months trial was it was for free, and it it was just so it wasn't so I would say if you are looking for a particular song from a popular artist Taylor Swift for example you would probably <laughs> find it uh, yeah. on both, but the thing is like he said. Spotify has a, so this algorithm from from Spotify is so much stronger than Apple. Mm. So like imagine you find like a jazz playlist by Frank Sinatra for example, and spend two hours listening to it at work, and uh, the next week when you look into they have this thing called Discover Weekly yeah, playlist yeah, where they would curate uh, new music based on your taste like what you've listened to in the past hmm. so and so when you click on that list you will see like Frank Sinatra song and along with some other things Ella Fitzgerald Billy Joel you know they would throw in things like that but it's strangely always something you would like yeah. like I really so they come up with like 25-30 songs mm-hmm. every week and I would say like only about 20% 15% that I really don't I'm not that into, but the rest are really just awesome. So, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. If you haven't used Spotify, you should really switch to it. It knows you better than you know yourself. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and the price is always good too yeah. because you know in the U.S. it's ten bucks per month, mm. uh, which is not not bad for no. U.S. standard, but here it's a lot. So, mm. fifty. 59,000, like you said. Yeah, it's, like it's three a, bucks a month. Yeah, it's, it's really bad. it's a really big deal. It's like I mean. If you just stop, you don't drink one cup of bubble tea and you can afford Spotify. It's you know? killing you anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But the thing is, okay, I'm going to go into like the weakness now. Yeah. But the thing is, because we are such a new market, I don't think we have that many Vietnamese artists yeah. um, on either of those. Apple Music is a little better because it's linked to iTunes mm. and like a fair share of artists have already 
uploaded that stuff to Apple Music and iTunes. But uh, for Spotify, I so I've tried curating a Vietnamese list before, and it's really really sad. It's Super just yeah, hard to do. yeah, just lackluster at best. So it's it will be interesting to see how if they manage to you know get all the big names from uh, the Vietnamese music scene to yeah China. I mean we yeah. well we discussed that a few episodes ago talking about indie music here and how it can be difficult you yeah. know most people are on SoundCloud at the very least but not yeah. the major streaming services because I think for indie music and making music in general in Vietnam is still a very much a hobby thing mm. so if you do music as a hobby you upload it to SoundCloud or YouTube, things like that, where you want people to just listen to it and you know enjoy it instead of uploading to Spotify, for example, to monetize it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, um, on the other hand, it might also be interesting. This you know this whole Spotify thing is, in, like you said, in conjunction with piracy, because it's yeah. such a big thing. Yeah, it's. So I would go as far as saying that it's in our culture now. It is. At least I actually culture. never realized piracy is a thing when I was like a kid. And yeah. Like, of course, downloading yeah. music for free Cause, is cause, like cause the you, norm. Because you grow up going to all this yeah. free side and downloading for free, mm. you you don't, you don't even think of it that. as piracy. Mm. Yeah. So, but it is actually very a, a very bad problem in Vietnam. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, it's it's obviously it literally just arrived this morning, but we're all curious to see how it uh, how Spotify impacts music here, and I will definitely be getting an account. When it comes to discussing countries with a strong reputation in Vietnam, no conversation would be complete without mentioning Japan. Uh, While Singapore may be the envy of city planners, especially in Saigon, it seems like Japan, for many just average people, is sort of the paragon of culture, civility, general order, those sorts of things. And unlike China, it's an Asian power or superpower even that very few people have any problem with supporting. Uh, and in return, Japan is also very supportive of Vietnam. They're, both countries are they're really tight economically and politically and, and uh, business-wise. And Japan, every year, it spends billions on infrastructure help, uh, expertise, and funding. You know, they've helped fund and build the Saigon River Tunnel, some of the huge new bridges in the Mekong Delta, of course, the metro line. It's impossible to miss the Japan signs yeah. there. If any yeah. Japanese government officials listening, we're sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's taking so long and we're sorry. Yeah, uh, and in fact, last year, uh, the Japan External Trade Organization conducted a survey in Vietnam is now second to China in terms of Japanese business interests uh, looking overseas in terms you know, countries they want to expand to. We're Vietnam still is. waiting for Muji. Yeah, and, and of course our <laughs> office is, no, yeah. we're not immune to this we all love Muji and uh, I love Uniqlo most brands I don't really care about but whenever they come here I'm gonna freak out (laughs) and of course there's a family mart in every corner 7-Eleven is expanding you know Japan's presence is hard to miss but when did y'all start noticing Japan's presence so mostly through popular culture Mm. when I was a little kid and my I think my neighbor have a PlayStation 
and they have all the Nintendo oh, yeah. games on it. Oh, yeah. And Mario, I'm like, I'm so cheap, I cannot that. afford that shit. <laughs> so Street Fighter. Like, yeah, <laughs> amazing. I love that. Yeah, I, yeah. Street, Street Fighter. Is a great thing. Mm-hmm. And obviously, comics is like imprinted in every school's culture. I mean, yeah. like every 90s kids would like remember having this little uh racket of comics full of fun stuff mm-hmm. dragon mm-hmm. ball oh, of conan yeah, dragon ball. case closed doraemon subasa naruto yeah naruto. one piece oh my god so, <laughs> so many like, yeah it even gets to like a more obscure point sure. of, like have you guys heard of vocaloid no. Yeah, I know that. Virtual Idol. So yeah, it's a like synthesizer, like it will create kind of like voice music. And yeah, I and used to have music as well. And I do covers of like yeah. kids and things like that. <laughs> huh. It's really creepy. Okay. <laughs> Travels the line of like the uncanny valleys a bit. Yeah. For me, it's, uh, yeah, it's a bit the, the same that you said. Uh, mm-hmm. It's through manga, through anime. I used to watch Pokemon every day mm-hmm. on VHS. Whoa. When it was even oh. a thing, <laughs> like we we would like go to the shop and rent VHS. it. VHS, like the tapes. tapes. Yeah. Not. <laughs> I thought you don't know me. <laughs> no, because there's usually I think a station on MTV is called VHS. Okay. Anyway, so, um, but for me, the main thing was uh, through food, which is a great way to be introduced oh, yes. to anything. It I is. would say. So my brother-in-law, um, he he still is, he was and still is a tour guide for. Japanese tourists in Saigon and uh, back then while he was still courting my sister uh, you know I would also get a benefit being the you know being the brother like, All right. he would yeah. drag me around and um, did bring me to places that sell sushi sashimi you privilege kid <laughs> all that good stuff I mean yeah, yeah my sister married well what can I say <laughs> but it, yeah it's very but then again, back then, even back then, it was still very accessible. You can find sushi plates very easily. The sushi bar existed back then. Um, and now, like, there are, like, uh, hundreds and hundreds of restaurants. Yeah, I didn't even mention everywhere. food in the intro, but, I mean, it's not quite uh, bubble tea levels, but obviously ramen and sushi are yeah. Available, yeah. especially the Long Lake Tantan. And I was in the Bintan's Little Japan Town last night. They actually had a sushi stand with sushi rolls for a thousand dong. Oh. Wow. Now, I don't know what that means for quality, but that is crazy That's cheap. Crazy. Anyway, so there's Japanese on all <laughs> all income spectrums. Yeah. And uh, I mean, so flash forward 15, 20 years, and I'm now a proud member of the matcha fear. <laughs> matcha fear. And if you don't know, matcha fear is a portmanteau of matcha and mafia. Mm. I've heard that before. <laughs> okay. How, how did they My friend survive? made it up. Uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> but we just end up, we just terrorize restaurants and dessert places until they put matcha on their <laughs> menu. Okay, stay uh, away from me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> also, speaking of it, uh, Dana, our ex editor in chief, used to enjoy matcha stuff with me everywhere. <laughs> we miss you, Dana. Come back. We really miss you. Miss you. Yeah. Leave Canada. Um, yeah, so speaking of pop culture, Koi, you, or last year was the uh, 25th, 25-year anniversary of Doraemon coming to Vietnam. Yeah. Koi, you wrote a pretty good article about it's that. It's a vicious year. Yeah. yeah. So uh, every year, uh, December 11th, is uh, the anniversary of Doraemon in Vietnam for the first time. 
And last year, uh, I wrote a piece about it on the day itself to you know commemorate the twenty fifth anniversary. So the story is is a bit interesting because it started out as an illegal production. Mm. So mm. Kim Dong, the publication, uh, the publisher, they actually published here Doraemon here illegally. Mm. Um, but then uh, the Japanese publisher found out, but they were like kind enough to just you know just go with it since mm-hmm. we're so popular. Um, they're pretty cool, but uh, but either way, illegal or not, it like you said, it became such an instant hit that's now everywhere. Mm. Um, I would say I, you wouldn't find a a person in Vietnam that's a millennial that yeah. doesn't know that don't know. Yeah. Um, Even if they don't don't read it, they will know it. Mm. Yeah, it's so ubiquitous. I said ubiquitous because so. <laughs> This is this is just the case for Doraemon, but I think it it applies to many others as well because the the stories are very relatable. Yeah. Because as a kid, you you know you can relate to story about not doing your homework and getting a zero mark. Mm. I'm pretty sure that we experienced that at least once. Mm. Yeah. And uh, it has simple daily stories of like funny little quirky gadgets, mm-hmm. but it also has longer volumes. That's like they're made into full length movie even that. Chronicles like the Doraemon's adventures in yeah. you know places all over the world, mm. and I think as a kid I I loved that stuff because I was always a bit of a nerd. I mean, still now, <laughs> kind of. It's okay. Has it ever changed? So it helps to like bring the cultures of the world and also science to kids. Yeah. But it's like packaged in very accessible and palatable things. Yeah. And I mean, the results of all these, or one of the results of all these cultural, business, economic, political ties are a lot of Vietnamese students and workers and tourists as well now going to Japan. Um, there's now 54,000 Vietnamese students studying in Japan and over 230,000 Vietnamese expats in the country, which is, that figure has grown four wow. times since 2012. Wow. And it's the fourth biggest minority group in Japan uh, behind the Philippines. So... Yeah, there are a lot of Vietnamese going to Japan. Of course, a lot of Japanese in Vietnam as well working, um, which is great. But there are problems here as well. Some There's been some recent stories that have kind of shed light on this. Uh, for example, the Japan-Asia International Friendship Association, which is an organization that brings in interns or students from around Asia, I suppose, to work in Japan. And a recent investigation found that this group had skimmed over $28,000 from the wages of 12 Vietnamese women working at guest houses on the, the west coast of Honshu, the main Japanese island. And there was another big story. This, this was actually, this made like international headlines about the Vietnamese intern who claimed he was duped into working on yeah. the yeah. Fukushima cleanup after the um, tsunami in 2012. That's still... In progress, but yeah, yeah it's not all. The you know, whole again, we were, we were just fawning over Japan, but it's not all butterflies and rainbows, is it? Yeah, we should not like idolize any country because mm. I mean, yeah, for sure, because <laughs> a lot of people in Vietnam like do really love Japanese stuff. Yes, but that just the stuff that got that crossed the the border to Vietnam, you know, like the food, the anime, the anime manga, manga. It's very it's easily digestible so you kind of like it but many don't really look into like deeper things that are happening in Japan for example yeah um, like for example Japan is very bad has a very bad record with LGBT issues for example yeah. 
or like women in work. So mm. I think at the end of the day, just Vietnam looks up to Japan a lot. So in many ways, from like the top level to like the daily, like average Joe. Um, so like I I've even like saw books in bookstore like saying like ways to teach your kids Japanese manners, for example. Mm. <laughs> so right. yeah, we're always because Japan has been always with us. Helping us, you know, with developing fund, giving us ODA, so yeah. it it became like a thing. Like if you help someone, they idolizes you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So Japan does obviously do a lot of great stuff, but as with any anything, you need balance. Um, and in our interview coming up next, Long, as mentioned, the student, Vietnamese student in Japan, he offered what I thought were some pretty interesting insights on studying and living there. So stay tuned for that. I'm here with Long Nguyen of the Bento Bureau podcast based in Japan. He's getting over the flu, so excuse any coughs. Long, thanks for joining us. Well, no problem. It's nice to be with you, Mike. Let's start with just telling the listeners who you are and what the Bento Bureau podcast is all about. Certainly. Um, to introduce myself again, my name is Long. I grew up in Vietnam. I studied in the U.S. The U.S. actually formed 2011 to 2014, and I have been in Japan since 2015. So currently, I am a university student, and I'll be graduating next year. I'm studying international relations. Talking about my podcast, uh, let's start from the original idea. Just like your podcast, the Saigonia podcast, uh, yeah. the Bento Bureau podcast started as a podcast that aims to introduce uh, perspectives from people who are not Japanese or foreigners. In this case, our group, uh, our students in TIU, our group discussion will be covering different topics about Japan and we will be just giving about our opinions, our perspectives on different issues. So yeah, that, that was the original idea. Well, we immediately ran into some problems. There was three problems that we had with this idea. First one is that was that we have yet to set a reputation for ourselves. So it, it was hard to get people to listen to our show. They would just, people would just go and say, who are these guys? Why we? I why do I want to waste twenty fifteen minutes of my time listening to them? So, first one is reputation, right? And second one was that we were not good at hosting and talking in general. So this kind of uh, format, this kind of show, it requires a lot of chemistry before between the co-hosts, and so that was something that we couldn't reach the the level of chemistry and banters <laughs> anything and lastly um we were trying a bit to be academic so we're to, trying to be educational but the problem was that we were not experts in any of the topics that we were talking about so we're just normal students giving our opinions but sometimes we tried like, a bit too hard to give like something like an expert um um uh, insight, something like that. For, for example, we would talk about topics like education, the uh, schooling in Japan, and sometimes we would use our research papers like as a source of information. So 
that was not really suitable for the discussion. Right. Right. So th- after having run into those three problems, we were sat down one day and we discussed the it over and we decided that we would change our format into kind of an interviews with people with guest speakers we would invite people who are who are in the know we will inv- invite uh, professors or people who have experiences on certain issues certain topics that we would like to talk about so for example I'm looking at right now we talked to professor Gregory Noble uh, he's a expert in Japanese political science. Uh, he's from Tokyo University. Uh, we talked to Professor um, Tom Gill. He's an anthropologist from Aoyama Gakuin. He did research on homelessness in Japan. So that was some of the examples of some of the guest speakers that we brought in later on in our show. So that's kind of the current um, plan for us and how we run things. Okay. And how old is the podcast? Uh, let me see. We started around April of 2016, if I remember correctly. Our first episode released on June 13, uh, June 30 of that year. So, almost, almost, yes. (laughs) Are podcasts popular in in Japan, or is this a pretty new concept for a lot of people? Podcasts in Japanese, I don't know because <laughs> my Japanese right. ability is limited, so I'm not sure about that. But podcast in English, there is a podcast network, uh, the Japanese podcast network. Okay, so we have uh, different podcasts on there. We have um, what's it called? We have Deep in Japan by a guy named Jeff Kruger. We had a chance to talk to him for our latest episode. So that's yeah. one other podcast. Um, we have. Uh, the ALT Insider by James. He's a he helped uh, people who comes to Japan to become English teacher. So that's another podcast that he runs, and he's he also invited us to the podcast network. So great thanks to him. <laughs> right. So in terms of viewership, there we around in for each episode we would get around three hundred, two hundred. That's for our podcast, and I think the numbers is the same for others as well. Maybe some some podcasts get more like two hundred more, but mm. I don't think one thousand average. I don't think any podcast has reached that number. I'm not sure. Yeah. When you reached out to us about being a guest, you mentioned offering your perspective as a Vietnamese or a foreigner living in Japan. Uh, we had also hoped to have one of your co-hosts on, but. What is your experience studying in Japan? Uh, in Vietnam, a lot of people are big fans of Japanese culture. Does that have specific appeal to you? Um, well, certainly. I used to watch anime, Japanese animation. I'm still listening to Japanese music. So, on the, in the term of pop culture, of course, I'm uh, influenced <laughs> to a certain yeah. extent by Japanese pop culture. And I think it's the same, not just for Vietnamese, you say. And... If you look at it as a like a Vietnamese Japanese uh, issues, then you wouldn't see that that um, not only in Vietnam but al- almost around the world, Japanese pop culture is really popular. So it's not about what in Japanese pop culture that is appealing to Vietnamese, but it, what in Japanese pop culture that is appealing in general to the population around the world in America, mm-hmm. in Europe, 
So in in other countries in Asia, for example. Okay. Yeah. You mentioned you study international relations. Uh, Vietnam and Japan have a really close relationship right now. For example, there's a lot of Japanese aid here, helping out with building infrastructure projects, for example. What's your view on the relationship between Japan and Vietnam? Without getting too technical, and yeah. we can ex- examine some facts. Well, Vietnam is an emerging country with a young population, so there's a huge market to tap in, that's for sure. And Vietnam is also growing very fast, so the country needs foreign investment, as you said, especially in infrastructure, right, to keep up with its growth. So, so let's let's do a small quiz, Mike. Do you know what is the largest source of FDI for Vietnam in 2016? I believe it's Japan now. Uh, actually, it was not. It was Korea, but. Oh, <laughs> But yeah, yeah, Japan was the second largest source yeah. of FDI in Vietnam. So you can see that Japanese investment in Vietnam is really crucial. Mm-hmm. And let's try and see if we can list some Japanese projects in Vietnam that you can think of right now. Um, well, the metro line doesn't count because that's too big to miss. <laughs> right. right, right. So you can think of the um, the airport in Saigon, for example, the Tansanyat Airport. So the renovation of the airport was done by the cooperation of Vietnam and Japan. Then we have um, Noi Bai International Airport in Hanoi. And that was done by, uh, with help from the Japanese. Um, I think on the internet there was this advertisement uh, made by the guy who made the movie 50 centim- 5 centimeters per second. Do you know that movie? The anime. Yeah, uh, so okay. Very famous guy, it's amazing an animation. So it showed a kid who grows up, follow his dad, and becomes an engineer who goes to Vietnam and oversee the construction of the airport. So, so you see that even the um, what Japanese are doing and around the world they are referenced in like pop culture of Japan as well. So, so certainly Vietnam is not like an outlier in this case, and Vietnam is a really big market and. A big place, um, destination for Japanese investments. You mentioned that you recently went on a trip to Vietnam with uh, one of your co-hosts. What was his impression of Vietnam since he's lived in Japan for a few years? Well, if you don't mind, I would like to read his uh, message on social media after the trip. And I think it really captures what he was thinking about the trip. Okay. He wrote here... I went to Japan and ended up having more Vietnamese friends than I could ever hope for, so it was inevitable for me to go someday. Although my trip is finally at its end, Vietnam has captured my heart in a way that I never anticipated. Every province from the south to the north boasts spectacular diversity in its nature, lifestyles and climate. Coming from life in Japan, it was really nice to experience the genuine genuine sense of community that thrives on the streets. Most importantly, I had chance to experience Vietnam, Vietnamese life with my friends who I have come to love and respect so much. Thank you for taking time off of your busy schedules to come and drink some fine bubble tea with me. I will be sure to return someday and when I'm older just to see how everything changes. For now, however, it's time to return to my people in Doha. So that was his message. You can see that he really enjoyed the trip and especially the buzzing atmosphere and the lifestyle and just the streets of Vietnam in general, I think. 
Well, that's really nice. You mentioned what you just read, that Buzz made more Vietnamese friends in Japan than he expected. Is there a big Vietnamese community there? Yeah, yeah. In, in our school, there was, there's a big Vietnamese population, half of the school. <laughs> and which city is your school in? Our school locates in Saitama, Kawagoe, Saitama, a okay. small town in the west of Saitama prefecture. So that's like 40 minutes from Tokyo. Why do you think there's such an appeal for Vietnamese students there? The school really puts a lot of um, effort into promoting this, the program to students around the world and especially students in Vietnam. Mm. I think in Vietnam alone, there's a huge, like, huge demand for education, uh, quality education. So families, when they have money and they have the financial capabilities, they would seek to at least send their ch children to, for example, Japan, maybe closer Australia. If they have more money, they would like to send kids to America, to the UK. So having um, uh, aware, being aware of that demand, the school then set up an office in Vietnam and actively trying to promote the program. So I think that's one one reason why there are a lot of students enrolling on, in our school. What is your experience living in Japan and being Vietnamese? Uh, I've been to Japan and absolutely loved it, but it is known for being pretty rigid in terms of society. How has your experience been? Yeah, you're right when you talked about how it is really rigid. And But as a Vietnamese living in Japan, I think I have it harder than my um, fellow friends who are not Asian because... See, if you are, for example, like a, you are from America or from Europe and you really stand out in Japan, uh, not just Japan, but in Asia in general, you go outside and people would, would know that you are foreigners. But for <laughs> um, us Vietnamese, we kind of look Asian, so us might if pass the test to look like Japanese. So even when you go outside, you go to a store, you go to a restaurant, and then you open your mouth, people expect you to speak fluent Japanese, but actually you cannot. So it's kind of hard for me. It's, you feel the pressure, you know, you say, <laughs> when you open your mouth, people think you're like, you, you have something wrong with your head. <laughs> right, right. So we, don't, we do not guess the foreigner card, you know, the pass, free pass out of jail. <laughs> So that's just like a daily life uh, annoyance, but not really affect your life that much. It's just a small annoyance. <laughs> right. Do Vietnamese students at your university get jobs in Japan afterwards, or do they just learn there and then go back to another country to work? I cannot speak for all of the Vietnamese students, but from from my uh, uh, my observation, I a lot of Vietnamese students they take a part time job when they enter university here around the second semester they would start going around and look for part-time job often uh, restaurants or some students would might get into like company convenience store but most students they would work in either small small factory or restaurants so that's the during the school years right? they would go to class then they go to work and then they go back and because uh, our program is relatively new, it's only been five years now since it it was 
the first uh, batch of students enter school. So I don't think there are there are any Vietnamese students who have graduated yes yet. So <laughs> I cannot um tell what what are the plans or what some students might do after school. But I think the general choices are are either to get a job in Japan or pursue a higher education. What about you? What's your plan once you graduate? Um uh that's hard. <laughs> right? Um I'm at a point where there are new ideas popping up every day, so a few months ago, like half a year ago, I would say I would want to go to higher education after school. Mm-hmm. And then like a month or two ago I thought maybe I could stay and keep working on the podcast because it's picking up the pace right now and I would like to see it going further and while doing that I could maybe still go to higher education and work on the podcast on the side or I could land down that this is just a few weeks ago I thought that maybe I could uh get a job in Japan. I like to work in the like a news agency. So maybe I can find an English news agency and work there. Then maintain the podcast for a few years. And then after that, pursue higher education. So so it's not a, like a concrete plan I have yet. And I still have one more year to go. So I need to talk this over with my friends, my professors, my mom, my dad. So to actually finalize what I want to do in the future. Last question, where can listeners find the Bento Bureau podcast? Okay, so you can check our Bento Bureau podcast on SoundCloud. Mm-hmm. Bento Bureau podcast, we just migrated to from Squarespace to SoundCloud maybe three months ago. All of the episodes are on SoundCloud. Some older episodes, we are working to uh, re- tweak the audio and fix some issues. So when you go on SoundCloud and you be able to listen to the newest uh, remastered edition of our owner episodes or you can also check out our website bentobiro.com and you can also listen to our episode through our website just click on the episode and then there'll be a soundcloud uh, players and you can just click and listen to it um, you can follow us on facebook as our main uh, social media channel you can also contact us on twitter instagram Long, thank you for joining us. I look forward to checking out more of your episodes in the future. Good luck. Now it's time for Bon Me Banter, when we go around the table and each share something we can't stop bantering about. So, P, what are you bantering about over your Bon Me? Um, so, a few weeks ago, I came across <clears throat> this community and they call themselves study blur. So it's basically study plus Tumblr. Oh. Then study blur. So it's Tumblr. first started on Tumblr. And it's basically a like a study blocking community. So cool. so yeah, it was cool at first. When oh. you dig a little deeper, it's oh. a little bit I mean I have mixed feelings. I haven't formed Yeah, like but a, anything's like that. It's cool at first and then <laughs> yeah. you dig the like deeper, you, yeah. Yeah, you find all the dark debauch stuff. <laughs> yeah, so it's not that dark, but um, so they will share 
study tips. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of Vietnamese students, like high school students, are cool. like oh, yeah. strain. And I think, well, okay, yeah, they're they're sharing study tips, like how to take notes. It's very very like productive, and in a very productive kind of way. But then they're also gonna Instagram their. This is my notebooks with a beautiful desk with a MacBook. Oh, I get yeah, it. Yeah, so the aesthetics oh. of like the whole, you know, visual. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there are two kinds of content that's going on. Things, so one things is just tend serious. to go back when you add Instagram in the mix, <laughs> don't they? Yeah. All right, Koi, how about, how about you? Yeah. So What's your I just found out that Jessica Jones is in is out. Oh yeah! Oh, oh my god! Right. I love that show. Yeah, that yes. was a good show. I haven't yeah. seen this new season. Uh, I mean, I was I was actually looking to download Spotify and I saw an ad for it, like a banner for it on uh, the iTunes store. Mm. So yeah, it's currently out. So my banter is about David Chang's show, uh, Ugly Delicious. Yeah. Yeah. It's really I haven't finished it yet, but it's excellent. I think I've watched five episodes. He so I knew he was pretty good on TV because he's made some appearances on Bourdain's various shows, but he's funny. He's smart, he can be profane, but he's also just a really sweet guy. Like they had an episode yeah. about his him cooking Thanksgiving at his parents' house in Virginia. It was really sweet. And then there's oh, a really good one yeah. about Viet Cajun cuisine, which yeah. is kind of this fusion of well, Vietnamese and Cajun cuisine that Ooh. took off in Houston. What kind of dish is that? So it's like like Vietnamese style uh, crawfish boils and shrimp oh. boils and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, so, yeah, okay. so they take the traditional Cajun crawfish boil, but then infuse it with like lemongrass or ginger or those okay. sorts of things. Don't watch it hungry. I watched the first episode. I saw your tweet. Ordered pizza during it. Second <laughs> yeah. episode. Ordered tacos during that, it. That's an amateur mistake. I, I'm a I'm a I'm a Master Chef veteran. I know uh, how this yeah. thing goes. Like yeah, never so, watch Master Chef or like you said. Ugly yeah. So delicious. check out Ugly Delicious, but Where make sure you've had some food first. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, that's it for this week's episode. Thanks as always for listening. Uh, get in touch on Facebook or email at podcast@saganator.com if you have any thoughts or feedback. And please leave us a review. That helps other people find the show. And Koi and P, thanks as always for your sharp insight and banter. Thank oh, you. Thank you. Yeah. I'm going to go download Spotify right now. All right. Yeah. See you all I next week. <laughs>